Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. And this is our Forest Ramble discussion for the international break. Uh, we're recording on Sunday, the 10th of September, 2023. And I am your host, Rich Ferraro. In this podcast, we're going to cover Forest's transfer window activity. We're going to say goodbye to Nick Randall and John Taylor and say hello to Tom Cartledge. We're going to think about the fact that the Reds have a new front of shirt sponsor. And we're also going to discuss the potential situation about Forrest's World Cup winner. All this and more, plus a game of Guess That Red and the return of Jeremy Davis with the 1865 sketch. That's all coming up in this episode of 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. So let's say hello to today's panel, and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves and let us know what you think was Forrest's best move in the recent transfer window. I'm going to start with Stephen Topless. Hello. Um, I think for profile and for potential, the signing of Ibrahim Sangare is our best bit of business. I'm really excited to see how he performs and having watched bits of him for PSV he looks like a seriously good player and dare I say a club above us in the food chain probably should have picked him up but they haven't Forrest have got him and yeah looking forward to seeing what he does. Mm, Thank you Stephen good morning to Baz. Hello Um, so obviously the best thing that we did in the transfer window was uh, get rid of John Joe Shelby oh no Mm. I think what I like is um, actually that we've been a bit more measured like, even though we made a lot of signings on deadline day, it didn't have the, like, scattergun feel that last season had. And I think that's exactly what we needed. And it feels like they've all been done with a purpose and we've filled in the holes. Yeah, I think that's a theme that we shall return to a little bit later. Thank you, Bass. And hello to Maradona of the Midlands. Hello. Um, well, as you, as you know, I love a bargain. So... I've been really impressed by the signing of Ola Ena 
on a free transfer. He's looked uh, like a, an amazing uh, bit of business there. Um, yeah, I mean, you can sometimes, it might sound oxymoronic, you can sometimes pick up free transfers, which are terrible value for money just because of the wages. But at the moment, he looks very comfortable on, on the left and considering he's, his strongest position is probably on the right. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him there maybe at some point. And, uh, yeah, comfortable on the ball, good at defending. And, uh, yeah, what's not to like about him? Mm, uh, we'll, we'll talk about, about him and the other signings in a little bit more detail. But one of the things that I like about him is I'm not entirely sure if he's left or right-footed. And I always like it when footballers are like that because, yeah, I mean, everyone's saying he's out of position on the left-hand side. But I remember when he was on loan at Fulham a few years ago, Maradona Midlands, he scored, didn't he score a wonderful goal where he cut inside and absolutely wellied it with his left from 25 yards. So I think that's usually a good sign in a professional player, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, yeah, it's probably yeah, a good sign that we can't really tell uh, which which foot he's, he's strongest. That means he's comfortable on both sides. And um, yeah, um, that versatility may prove very useful. Yeah, maybe he's the new James Perch. Who knows? Um, let's start with the transfer window. Obviously, we've just talked about some of those signings and think about the Forest squad. So lots of incomings and outgoings. But Baz, as you said, I think that this panel, uh, sorry, this window has felt a lot more considered than previous and also more considered than previously than at any stage in the Maranakis regime. So. Baz, I mean, what is it? Firstly, would you agree with that with that sentiment that actually this is a sign that for the first time since the Maranakis regime has taken over, it feels like there's a bit of strategy going on? Um, I think I, I felt a bit like that just before Steve Cooper came in. So with the, the five loan signings, although that was also the season, that was when we bought like Zande Silver and stuff like that, wasn't it? But you could see why they were being brought in for for whatever they were. Um, but yeah, compared to last season, compared to the way things have been, this feels like, yeah, let's find out where the gaps are, what we need to do to improve the team and then pick out the players that are going to do that that improvement. Um, and most of them are young as well, which is also a, a good thing compared to some of the signings last season. Mm. Uh, and Maradona... Just on that on that topic, uh, you and I had had a little chat, hadn't we, about the fact that, oh, well, they've signed Murillo and then they've also, um, but they've still got McKenna. Panzo's gone, but then they've also signed Omar Bamadili. Apologies, Andrew. I will try and get that right in the future. And you're kind of thinking, well, they've signed two left-sided centre-halves and McKenna's still there. Uh, Nia Kate will probably play, play in the middle of a back three. But you made the point that they're also possibly future-proofing because Bolly and Felipe aren't on long contracts. They're both the wrong side of 30. Nierkate is a good age, but his injury record, he's been unlucky with injuries since he's come to Forest. So you think there's a, an element of, of signing those younger players on those longer-term contracts in the hope of, of the potential there, yeah? Yeah, I mean, we obviously can't play all of them at, at the same time. So I think although we will introduce them into the team at some point this season, and maybe even if, if Steve Cooper wants to play a slightly different way um, at certain points, they might come in. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a thought in it, well, initially I had because I thought, well, we don't need any more centre-halves after after um, Marilla had signed. So it, it's obviously with with a view to the future and, and sort of maybe eventually moving Felipe on and Bolly on. But um, there's some talk of Bolly maybe going 
Saudi Arabia, but that that transfer to the um, to the Saudi League, or as I like to call it, the Call Me Owl League. Um, but <laughs> but um, that's window shut now. So um, it looks like we've got a fairly hefty stable of centre halves there. Um, so yeah, the only challenge is going to may, maybe keeping them all happy over the course of the season because not got a huge amount of games left. Maybe if we don't progress very far in the FA Cup, probably only about 34, 35 games. So, um, yeah, trying to keep them happy is going to be the problem now. Okay, thank you, Betty. Uh, Just, Baz, very quickly coming back to you, um, you made your quip about John Joe Shelby. Um, Do you think he'll be upset that he's lost his number six shirt to Ibrahim Sangare? Um, I, yeah, probably. He's probably having, like, chucking teacups around now because of it. You, and and it got me thinking when he was named in the squad list at, at number six at the start of the season, I was wondering if maybe it's one of those contractual things. Some players like to have an, a one mm. to eleven number, don't they? So the fact that he's not got squad number at all, never mind in the one to eleven. Uh, yes, I, th- I think I think we can safely say that even if he's still on the payroll like Harry Arter, it's unlikely we shall be seeing him in first team contention anytime soon. Um, Stephen, on the topic of Sangare, uh, you were waxing lyrical about the fact that he he has signed, and uh, Maradona has uh, alluded to the influence of the Saudi league. Um, had an interesting just chat in the comments on the Athletic, um, or was it on on social media? I can't remember. But uh, someone was making the point. I think it was one of the football journalists actually was making the point that. All these high-profile players moving to the Saudi league and then saying, well, English football fans can't really, uh, you know, scoff too much because then we get players like Sangare, who's moved from a Champions League team to a team who are at the wrong end of the Premier League. Do you think that's a fair point in terms of the standing of Forest? And you alluded to the fact that Sangare could easily have gone to a higher profile club. Yeah, I think it's just uh, how the Premier League now has become more or less the number one league in the world. It's a league that everybody wants to, everybody wants to be in, and it's a place where players want to come and play. And it is it is um, a bit bonkers that we can attract teams away from Champions League football by virtue of just being in the Premier League. But I think that's just where it is now, and. This is a platform Forest. I don't think have found themselves in for a very long time. Probably going back to sort of mid eighties, in the years after they'd won the European Cups themselves. It was looking at the transfer of Sangare. Almost Forest didn't have any right to buy him. I felt at the time because of his profile, because he'd just taken PSV into the Champions League. I thought, well, that's probably scuppered it then. So when the deal was on again on deadline day. I was like, if, if, it's, if it can happen, just get him. And from a Forest point of view, I think not only does he improve the team and I'm looking forward to seeing how he slots in, but it's an investment from Forest as well. If he comes into the Premier League, proves himself, then there probably will be top six Champions League teams that come in for him and, and pay Forest a fair whack to do so. So yeah. I think from our point of view, it's a win-win situation. We're taking advantage of our new platform that we're finding ourselves in, but it could also prove to be a very good investment for the club. And I think we are going to be one of those clubs, as the Brennan Johnson transfer suggests, where we will need to 
prepared to turn the squad over. If we've got players who are doing well, teams higher up are going to come and take them off us. That's just the that's just the the nature of the Premier League and where we are as a club. Yeah, and that's what I I said in that comment thread was to kind of say, well, I fully expect that that Forest we're not we're unlikely to finish top half of the Premier League. Let's let's be realistic about that. We can be optimistic, but we also need to be realistic. And therefore, I should imagine that in a year's time, Sangare will move on, but he'll possibly move on for fifty million to a team who are in the top half of the Premier League and in Champions League contention. Um, so that would be my speculation on that. Whereas a player who goes to Saudi is unlikely to move on to a higher profile club as a result of their experience in the Saudi league. Baz, you wanted to jump in. Uh, so, so like the thing with the Saudi league is obviously everyone's like, well, they've got this financial clout that they can attract these players over there. But that's part of the point of the Premier League. And you hear the interviews with the Italian FA people and they're like, well, we, there's no way we can complete this, this absolutely crazy amount of money. I was reading about, obviously, you've got like Spain, Germany, Italy to a lesser extent, and then the rest of the leagues in Europe are pretty small compared. And I was reading that in the Greek league, for obviously Olympiakos, um, like spending 10 to 15 million pounds on one player is unheard of. That's like that's like what Arsenal did with Declan Rice to the Greek league. So that's like the different sort of level that we're playing at compared to the rest of Europe. So, yeah, it's not really right for us to complain about Saudi just doing the same thing back to us. But do you also accept the point that I made, which is that you're more likely to, if you're a player, you're more likely to add value and increase your profile by coming to the Premier League or maybe to Spain, Italy, Germany than you would be by going to Saudi? I mean, the the, the obvious one there's, um, what's his face from Wolves? Neves. Mm -hmm. Where you're wondering why on earth is he, was he 26? Yeah. So he's got his best years ahead of him and he's going to spend them there. So you've got to be thinking, what's what's it, what's going through his mind with that? Is it purely <clears> that <throat> then? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, but is he going to like do a year there and then when he's twenty seven and in peak form, go somewhere well, else? I guess you the, can't cautionary, really see it. the cautionary tale, I suppose, is when Oscar left Chelsea to go to the Chinese league, and. Well, that mm. was it. No one's really heard a scene of him since, have they? So, um, uh, marriage on the Midlands, just to uh, move on from there ever so slightly. So Stephen alluded to the idea that Forrest have for quite a long time done like one or two big sales every year uh, to kind of balance the books and so on. So obviously the high profile one was Brennan Johnson. I think selling Sam Surridge for five million uh, to a, where he's not going to be competing with us as well. And I think, what did we pay? We pay 1.5 million or something for him. So that's probably a good deal. But apart from them, do you think the likes of Omar Richards and Lewis O'Brien and Gustavo Scarpa will feel a little bit hard done by kind of feeling like, well, they've only just come in and now they're being shipped out? Um, Probably the only one who'd feel hard done by is Scarpa because he's probably a player at the top of his game when he came in. Um, He'll probably rightly feel he... He didn't get much of an opportunity to play. Um, the others, Omar Richards, he'll be, I think, happy just to go out and get some game time um, for a season, just to get playing football again. Um, I think uh, Lewis O'Brien, he probably, in his heart of hearts, he probably realises he, he's probably just a little bit short of of what's required in the Premier League um, to play sort of regularly. So he, he's probably 
I'm, I'm guessing he's happy enough to be out on loan and playing reg, regular football again. Um, but yeah, but I don't. I think only one, the only one be, being a bit bit annoyed is, is probably Gustavo Scarpa. Mm-hmm. And um, on a similar note, Maradona. Um... Obviously, the Greek window hasn't quite shut yet, but uh, there weren't the uh, players going out to the Saudi League. We were expecting maybe the Bollies and Oriers and, and Kuyates to go out. But uh, do you reckon um, players like Biancon might, you know, might be one or two others going to Olympiacos? Maybe. I don't know. You're not, you're not 100% sure. Well, I think I don't know how many they're allowed to have. I think they've already got two of them now, haven't mm-hmm. they? So <laughs> I don't know how many more players they need. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just don't know. I, I, I think we might be stuck with a good, I don't know, 11, 12 players this season who who won't hardly kick a ball for us. Which And not just John Joe Shelby and Harry Arter. No, not just. There's, there's, I mean, we've got probably two goalkeepers who won't play a game, mm-hmm. uh, two international goalkeepers in Hennessy and Horvath and um, players like Biancone and there's... Uh, Dennis, he's still knocking around, isn't he? We'd forgotten about him. Mm-hmm. So I had a quick tot up the other day. I mean, probably looking at about probably half a million quids worth of wages a week going out on players who aren't aren't going to kick a ball for us, which which um, can bring its own problems with with in terms of the FFP and what we've sort of been speaking about all summer. So uh, yeah, is it as good as the transfer windows been? We're, we're still sort of having those legacy problems of sort of not being great at it over the last few years. <laughs> mm. And yeah, Stephen, just, just briefly on that topic, I mean, we the, the criticism, which was an easy one in the media last season, was Foresters are signing everyone. And actually the criticism over the Maranakis years with, what was it, 80 transfers in, in four years or whatever it was, um, before they did the five loan signings that got us over the line in the championship. I mean, is that still a valid criticism, even with a slightly tighter... You know, I'm just thinking about the fact that, for example, Kuyate and Williams might not get much game time now that we've signed. Um, you know, we've signed players in the fullback position. We've signed uh, players in the, you know, so, OK, Freul has gone out, but Nico Dominguez has come in, for example. Is that still a valid criticism of Forrest, Stephen? Yeah, because I, th- I think the net number is still going to be quite substantial over Maranakis's time at the club. Um but this window did feel more structured and it felt more measured in terms of the deals that were done. So I'm hoping now that things start to settle down. And we last summer was a bit of an outlier with all the all those 30 signings coming in and Forrest probably getting promoted a good year or two ahead of schedule. So there wasn't any time to build a settled team in the championship and a core group of players that got the team promoted. It it just happened so quickly. And I think Forrest have just reacted to trying to, one, stay in the Premier League and now, two, build on staying in the Premier League last season. I think that that turnover of players is just a consequence of it. And I hope now that this most recent transfer window is more of a template of what's to come in the future and that we're, just, we're going to sign players where we need to sign them rather than signing players because we just need bodies and we just need players in the building to to get us over the line and and where we want to be. Mm. And uh, Baz, I, I know you want to come in there, but I'm also just going to ask you quickly. Um, significant that George Sirianos was brought back in. 
on you know as that consultant yes i think and and very little seemed to be happening in the transfer window and then he comes back in and we get the the players we need so i think that's quite significant as well obviously from someone looking from the outside just the other thing i'd like to add to that though is it's also um it's one of the things that Guardiola is famous for is refreshing a team to prevent players getting complacent so to some extent having this idea that actually it doesn't matter how central you've been to the team but there's every chance that we're going to be signing two players to replace you next in next window is probably it might be unsettling for some but it's also something that I think keeping that sort of turnover to some degree is probably a good thing for the club as well. And I'd also add to that, of course, the thing is Pep is 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 the outstanding coach of his generation. And Steve Cooper is not Pep, but we've seen that Steve Cooper makes players better when he has that time with them. And even then, Pep with Pep, you see a lot of players take at least a season to settle in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we talked about the boardrooms ever so slightly, or at least the behind the scenes stuff with mentioning Sirianos. Let's move on and talk about the boardroom stuff. So Maradon the Midlands, Nicholas Randall Casey has been replaced as the chairman of Forest by Tom Cartledge. Uh, the lesser reported story, at least by the club, is that the chief operating officer, John Taylor, has has also gone. And according to his LinkedIn profile, apparently he's open to work. So uh, Maradona, um, just a few reflections on Nick Randall's tenure as chairman. Yeah, I think he's been a steady pair of hands. Um I mean, obviously, the the the, the Greeks wield all the power and, and make all the big calls and so on. So, in to a certain extent, he was a, a ceremonial figure at the club, and we didn't hear a great deal from him down the years. Maybe once or twice a season, he'd, he'd pop up and, and make a statement or do an interview. Uh, but I think that's that's what they they needed. Um, they needed somebody a, a stable, less volatile figure um, to, to to lead the club and. Um, and to be the figurehead, uh, that's maybe one of the mistakes that Fawaz made um, when he was in charge. I think one of many. Plan, yeah, yeah. The initial plan, um, I understand, was to install a, a very similar person, a similar sort of um, caliber person as chairman, a complete outsider. Uh, but that sort of got forelaid, and, and the family got got the position. And but I think in, in that sense, it, he's been a steady, steady hand on the tiller. And then he's done a, a decent enough job. He's, he's not rocked the boat. He's um, he's uh, been sort of done every, everything he'd want a chairman to do in that sense. And that ceremonial role, I guess, is cemented by the fact that in, in terms of the club guidance, you always had to refer to him as, as Nicholas Randall QC or Casey, uh, more latterly, um, in any kind of communication. So, so it shows that that kind of importance of status, I suppose. Um, Stephen, new chairman, Tom Cartledge. Uh, local businessman, high profile, um, from an architecture background, and obviously the company, one of the companies he runs, has been consulted um, on the main stand redevelopment. I, not a coincidence, is it? No, I think uh, they're going to try and grease some wheels there with with Tom Cartledge coming in, um, and yeah, just hopefully he can just build on the work that Nick Randall's done. Um, I think he's overseen some good work in the last five or six years and he's obviously been there and seen Forrest rise up into the Premier League and stay there. So on that basis, I think his 
his time has been a success and hopefully now Tom Cartledge can come in and carry on that work and yeah, get us a new main stand. That'd be nice. Mm. And uh, Baz, uh, apart from everything we've just discussed there, um, obviously the, I think the thing that is worth pointing out, there've been a few cynics on, on kind of comments sections and so on saying, Oh, Tom Cartledge, what's his background? I mean, one thing that we can vouch for is he is definitely from a family of forest supporters. He definitely is fanatical about his football. Um, and, but then on the other side, in terms of departures, John Taylor didn't know much about him, but he's gone. And this reminds me a bit about when when Sam Gordon was brought in as the chief financial officer and then mm-hmm. disappeared without any kind of mention of it um, within, I don't know, within two years. So is there anything that we need to think about there? Is there, is there anything weird going on behind the scenes, do you think? Well, I think it's it's kind that's kind of more telling. So the in in most businesses the ceo is coo is generally ron- responsible for all the day to day stuff like making sure that everyone's got what they need and and whatever to do the 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 boring stuff while the chairman and the ceo are more strategic i think the fact that john taylor obviously i didn't know much about him at all but that tom cartledge has come in and the ceo coo has gone I think that suggests that the club is definitely looking at the off the field potentials. So it is that the the stadium expansion is the obvious part of that, but is what else can they do in that area? I think Mm -hmm. is is what where they're going with it. And after having those two in to steady the ship, then now it's like, right, now now how do we take it forwards? Okay, and and just going back to that word strategy, do you think as well there's something to be said for the fact that the COO has gone at a time we don't have a chief executive officer since Dane Murphy's gone? So they've gone to this approach where Ross Wilson is this what chief football officer or whatever, mm. um, the chief operating officer has gone, Tom Cartledge has come in, he's got a different kind of business background, whereas Nick Randall had that legal background. That's not to say he didn't have business knowledge, but from a business and strategic point of view, it suggests that they're looking at the way the club is being run. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I think as well, that was part of that became apparent during the the transfer window as well. What with obviously Gary Brazil going, uh, Ross Wilson coming in and stuff like that. All the stuff about even just like signing the extra physios and whatever. It's like, right. We we ended up here earlier than we expected. Let's make this fit for purpose now. Mm-hmm. Actually, and uh, married on the Midlands, uh, I'm glad that Baz mentioned that because I think it's fair to say we haven't really, because of the timing of it, we haven't really talked enough about Gary Brazil's departure. Um, firstly, were you surprised? And secondly, would you like to pay tribute to his work at the club? Um, yeah, well, yeah, it was obviously a, a big surprise at the time um, because... He's he's been such a sort of universally popular figure, seemingly at the club, and a well respected figure. Somebody they trusted to put in charge of the first team on numerous occasions, and he's been so so good at bringing through players and um, creating creating wealth for the club and keeping it going. Really, without him and and the work of the backroom team at, at the academy, the club may well have gone out of business on more than one occasion in the past twenty years. Um, so yeah, he he's always seemed like a a good guy, so a decent decent man with, with good morals and um, sort of instill that into the players, a good work ethic, and um, yeah, re- re- really 
quite a big surprise, but obviously some sort of fallouts happen in the background, which we, we don't know about. And Stephen, just uh, briefly to to add to that, um, I think there's there's two sides to stories when people leave their positions. And if we just use the Brazil and Randall um, departures, I mean, it was reported by Danny Taylor, I think about a year and a bit ago, that Nick Randall had wanted to step back from being the kind of full on chairman and had actually taken more of a non-executive role, but he was persuaded to kind of stay on. So in that sense... I think any conspiracy theories, it sounds to me like Nick Randall's probably kind of said, I've done my time. Um, Gary Brazil kind of as publicly as he could basically said he was waiting for a new contract offer and it didn't come. Um, so obviously we wish Brazil well in his new role with the England setup. But um, but yeah, anything that you want to comment about there, Stephen? The way that it has been done and OK, we've only really got Gary Brazil's side of the story to go on, but it does sound like it was handled poorly to allow his contract to run, basically run out and and not provide some kind of answer as to whether he'd be staying on or leaving. It sounded like Gary Brazil was in the dark as much as the fans were, which is not very good, to be honest, especially after the fantastic work that he's done for the club over the last decade and the way that he's served Forrest with, distinction and dignity in very difficult times and yeah I just would want to wish I just want to wish Gary Brazil all the best and thank him for the brilliant work he's done uh it's it's work that has raised countless millions of pounds for the football club and probably kept Forrest afloat in uh, on more than one occasion in the last decade so it's a shame that one, that he's left the club, but two, that he left in the circumstances he did. And I would, hopefully, though, Forrest have got a, a plan now with, with the academy and they're going to develop and, and build on Gary Brazil's work and the academy can continue to develop youngsters for the first team and, and be a real lifeblood uh, and a real source of pride for the club because I think that's what Gary Brazil's academy has been for the last five, ten years. Baz? Yeah, uh, this comes back to the whole strategy thing again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm kind of intrigued to find out what the plan is for the academy because we were saying it all through last season is like having three homegrown players in the first team was a big, big factor in in how even us as fans responded when things weren't going our way. And to lose that connection is going to be dangerous for the club. But also I saw at least two articles over the summer about how Premier League clubs are finding placing great importance on homegrown players purely for the FFP reasons. So again, if we lose that, then that's going to be dangerous for the club. So I do hope that whatever they, whatever it was that Gary Brazil couldn't bring for the, the strategy of the club, Whatever they're bringing in to replace him will be able to carry on doing that because I'm I am quite, I'm sad to see Gary Brazil go and I can't see what from the outside I can't see what he didn't bring or wouldn't have been able to bring to the the club in future. Mm. And uh, I will just uh, sort of add to that I guess that um, as fans, okay, there's there's possibly generational differences, but as fans of a certain age. 
the Maranakis family have talked about kind of keeping that culture and, and, and heartbeat of, of Forest's identity and having players coming through from the academy is something that has been very, very much a source of pride to us through through thick and thin as fans. But we're going to have to leave that discussion there. So thank you to the panel. In a few minutes, we'll be back with some more discussions, including shirt sponsorship and some talk about Gonzalo Montiel. And we'll have our Forest quiz guess that red. But now it's the welcome return of this. The 1865 sketch by Jeremy Davis. As one door closes, another one opens. Unless it's a revolving door. As the transfer window slams shut on the 1st of September. Why do they always have to slam it shut, by the way? Can they not just gently close it? Is everyone at the FA really that angry? Or does it just need some WD-40? A new door opened for Brennan Johnson, and he dashed through it and onto Tottenham's bench. Forrest themselves have clearly moved the revolving door that was on the manager's office for years and installed it in the dressing room, as several of last season's new arrivals found themselves on the way back out again. The revolving door was invented in 1888 by the excitingly named Theophilus Van Cannell, who sounds like he should have been Johan Cruyff's understudy at the 1974 World Cup, but despite the Dutch name was an American, and came up with the idea to alleviate the difficulties associated with conventional doors as a means of access to that most American of architectural phenomena, the skyscraper. According to Invent.org, the door served as an airlock, preventing the rapid influx of cold air into warm buildings on chilly, windy days. The door proved particularly useful in skyscrapers, where the pressure differences created by a large column of warm air inside the building and the outside cold air made conventional doors difficult to open or close. Another notable Van Cannell invention, if less useful and certainly lacking the longevity of the revolving door, was the Witching Waves, a fairground ride. This was a steam-powered precursor to modern dodgem cars that involves driving round an undulating track, trying to catch a wave to make the car go faster and ideally use that momentum in a head-on collision with another rider. Apparently, this was the scene of many injuries, much like the forest training ground last season. The revolving door dream is apparently a well-known phenomenon in psychology which isn't bad going for an invention that's less than 150 years old. I have always associated dreams with something far more primal and ancient, rooted in subconscious emotions buried deep within our reptilian brains. But no, it seems that a dream featuring a revolving door can be interpreted as a positive affirmation that the individual is ready to take on new challenges. Maybe Brennan Johnson was dreaming about revolving doors over the summer. There is another school of thought, however, which suggests that such a dream may also represent uncertainty or apprehension, a sign that one is not ready for change. Which just goes to show that the interpretation of the revolving door dream, somewhat ironically considering the original purpose of the invention, is a load of hot air. The revolving door on the forest dressing room may well start spinning again in January, which, appropriately enough, takes its name from the Roman deity Janus, god of doors often depicted as being literally two-faced. Any resemblance to Jordan Henderson is completely coincidental. Janus was also believed to be the first among gods or humans to make money, in the sense of minting coins, making him, in a very literal sense, the godfather of inflation, quantitative easing, and FFP. Speaking of which, who's going to the Man City game? Still, I personally can forgive Janus for begetting the evils of modern capitalism just as long as he helps us stay clear of the relegation trapdoor.
We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest Podcast. Welcome back to 1865, the Nottingham Forest Podcast with me, Rich Ferraro, and our panel. And thank you to Jeremy for his latest musings. Still to come, we'll have more discussion about matters on and off the pitch, and we'll have a game of Guess That Red. But first, we are separating from that discussion to have a little think about the signing of World Cup winner Gonzalo Montiel and the allegations surrounding him. Now, as you may be aware, he's under investigation by Argentinian prosecutors for an alleged rape four years ago when he was still playing for River Plate and before his move to Sevilla. Now, there's a few questions that we wanted to to discuss here, but... um, the first thing uh, that I did was ask our regular po- podcaster, Adam, about, from a practical viewpoint, uh, Montiel's on loan, but there's an option to make the move permanent. But on a wider ranging basis, without taking the moral issues into account, without presuming any guilt, does it make sense for Forrest to sign someone who could be summoned for a police interview or taken to court at any time? Here's what he had to say. I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because what he's been accused of is incredibly serious. Now, there's no sense of speculating whether he's guilty or not. None of us know. Um, But I think there's been a lot of high-profile cases that have gone either way, haven't they? For me, though, um, if I'm Forrest, I don't sign the player with these allegations hanging over him. I know allegations are allegations. I know that we can't speculate whether someone is guilty or not and maybe he's completely innocent but it's just not worth it you know there'll be other right backs there'll be other full backs that you can sign you've got a really good full back at the club so if you're desperate to sign a right back Max Aaron's went to Bournemouth you know what I mean like there's I'm not comparing Max Aaron's and Montiel because I'm sure Montiel's a much better right back and maybe the reason Montiel had come to Forest is because you know like it there weren't many clubs willing to take the punt on him, but to sort of answer the overarching question, should Forrest have signed him and risked a spot in the 25? No, is my opinion. Thank you very much, Adam. Now we're joined by the most regular voice in the podcast. You'll recognise this sound. Um, Amilka, following on from what Adam said and thinking purely from a practical point of view about the club signing somebody who's using up a place in the 25-man squad, but might, you know, who knows what's going to happen with him? Just on that practical element, were you surprised that Forrest signed Montiel? I really, I'm really confused about what he's going to add um, to the squad, considering that we already have the players, as Adam said. Um, it just feels a really strange decision to have decided to take someone on and not know exactly whether they're going to be able to keep him or not and not know exactly whether they're going to find out whether he is uh, able to continue to play with them. Why not just stick to 
the players that we've already got in, in place. It it just doesn't make any sense to me. Or as Adam suggested, you know, if they were desperate for another attacking right back, then there may have been other options available. Yeah, they, they seem to have done a really good job at um, the other uh, people that have come into the club. And this one just seems a really odd decision. I know that he's got some great background with Argentina and I know that he was the penalty scorer and I know that that comes with a lot of plaudits but but also that there's so many more there's other footballers out there that would really um you know could be a fit that it just feels uncomfortable that they've made the decision to bring someone on that might not be able to stay yeah and um as we discussed in part one of the podcast because Forest transfer business has felt that little bit more targeted and that little bit more precise this time round. You're kind of thinking, well, how many how many right wing backs do we need? Um, let's move on to, I suppose, the the, the second issue that exists. Um, are we confident from what we know that the club have done their due diligence on signing Montiel with the allegations hanging over him. Now, I think we should stress at this point, we are not making any presumption of guilt or innocence. We just don't know enough. And even if we did, this is process, you know, subject to legal process. But have Forrest done enough due diligence? They've said that they've contacted Montiel's representatives. That's the official line. Should they have done more, Amilka? Um, from articles that I've also read in The Athletic, it looks like they haven't contacted the alleged victims' um, representatives to see what their side of the story is. Um, and I think that possibly, as a woman and as a female football fan, I would want to know that they'd completed the full due diligence and not just from, from the player's point of view, because there are always two sides to every story. It makes me feel really uncomfortable to know that they're not taking anything about the allegations seriously enough. And there's been a lot of history of women coming forward and saying that things have happened to them and not being taken seriously. And this is historic and something that's come up a few years later, but that's often what can happen in a victim's memory or that it's so traumatic for them that it takes a few years. Um, and I really think they need to take the whole, the whole of the information to make a decision and not just from his representatives. Let's hear what Adam had to say on the same topic. Look, when you're parting with a lot of money, you'd imagine that you would take every single step possible to do your club's due diligence to really go and dig into, you know, a little bit more information about the situation. Um, not speaking to the prosecutors is a strange one. However, Forrest must have been convinced by uh, Montiel's representatives in North um, but the difficulty thing is, obviously, it is a loan. We believe with an obligation to buy. There was a lot of mixed reports on that. A loan with an obligation to buy or 
some outlets were reporting that he was bought, but I don't know. I think that that one is that one is a really strange one. I, I really couldn't speculate to why Forrest wouldn't dig as deep as they possibly could get all the information they could. I would imagine it was something along the lines of um, Montiel's representatives advised Forrest to not speak to the prosecutors or Montiel's representatives convinced Forrest enough that Forrest accepted the information that was given to them. We really don't know, but for me, yeah, I think Forrest probably should have done as much as they possibly could around the situation. I um, think that probably they may think they've done enough, but I still question why they would even take their word for it, um, the representative's word for it. And I guess what you're thinking here is that uh, representatives who appointed to defend a player against allegations are of course going to say yeah everything's fine exactly um and i think that that part of it is is what makes me doubt um the club and them taking part in the due diligence of what they believe that they've done enough or or done enough to to convince the fans that they are bringing in a player that will be good for the club and and if you think about the club in a in a way that we've never had to deal with any of this type of allegation before in any of the other players why would you why would you bring somebody who brings that baggage whether it's real whether it's something that's happened or not um we're a family club we're well respected we've got great history i just think we're bringing something upon us that we don't need to it's like a shadow it's like an elephant in the room it's it's something that other people will talk about us and it should be about what's going on with who we've already got and the great we've got great social media presence um we've got great ambassadors in the men's and the women's football and i don't think it needs this drama going on in the background Okay, and just to stress, once again, we are not making any presumption of guilt, innocence, or anything in between. We wanted this to be a morally neutral discussion, and obviously, as fans, you will have your own opinions. Um, I think one of the things that's coming through is that there are fans who are happy to say, you know what, we're signing a World Cup winner, and Forrest must be comfortable with with what's going on. There are other fans who may be less so. Uh, with that, I'm going to say thank you to Adam and thank you to Amilka. We are back in the studio now. And before we leave the moral maze, there's time for a quick update from our friends at FanHub. Um, remember, you can use the FanHub app to predict your team and log your attendance at matches. But now you can also find Forest fans in your area and message other Red supporters. For example, you might want to arrange lift shares or meet up for a drink. To join FanHub, download the app from their website or your app store, and you can use our golden ticket code 186-ERG to skip the waitlist and join the fun. Now, those golden tickets are limited availability, but we do share them quite regularly. So keep an eye on our social media for updates, team predictions, and the latest limited edition golden ticket code. We're on Twitter, Instagram, threads, TikTok, and YouTube, and all of our links are at 1865 dot football 
Now, let's go back to the discussion and let's talk about Forest having a shirt sponsor because like Chelsea, we started the season with a blank shirt and like unlike last season, we are we have got a shirt sponsor and we've not had to wait until the new year for a charity sponsor. So the new sponsors are Kayan Sports and apparently Chelsea have an interest with them as well. A couple of other teams have had them as sleeve sponsors. Married on the Midlands, should we be worried about the fact that the club have a gambling sponsor? And should we be worried about the fact that Kayan Sports call themselves a football platform rather than being transparent about being a betting website? Um, I don't think in principle you need to worry too much about a betting sponsor. I think I think the cat's out of the bag on that one. It's it's been a good sort of twenty odd years since since online gambling and and um and football sort of grew together really um uh, from the from the early days of the internet it was one of the sort of first burgeoning uh aspects of it was sort of the online gambling um um industry um and if you look back it's all gambling's always sort of had a hand in football in terms of the football pool coupons in, in the olden days and uh all that sort of thing so while it's while it's while it's legal in this country, um, I don't think there's there's too much of an issue with having a gambling sponsor on, on the shirt. Um, there, there are moral questions about whether you should or you shouldn't, but I, I don't necessarily think it's necessarily immoral uh, to have uh, to, to be involved with gambling. Um, millions of people do enjoy it responsibly um, as part of their sort of weekly routine, and they and they add fun to watching football matches for them. Um, it is all pervasive now. You can't what, turn on the TV or, or listen to a sports station on the radio without hearing gambling sponsors. So it is, if you do have a problem, it, it can be uh, very difficult for you. But the majority of people do sort of get through life without having any problems with the gambling. So in that sense, I don't have a problem with it per se. Uh, the fact that it, the um, the details of who KN are and where they're from and what exactly they do so sort of murky that that does that is an area of concern and for, for a high profile institution like Boris you, you really want um more clarity on who you're getting into uh your commercial bed with mm, uh Forrester not necessarily the most high profile club to have a link with Cayenne Sports I don't think but um but I mean what I would say is that in addition to what you've said for personally I'm less comfortable with it uh, but I would also echo your point. So Maradona the Midlands, you listen to talk sports a lot. And on the occasions that I have done, it's absolutely notable. Every two or three minutes, you get an ident advertising gambling services. Um, Baz, clubs are just getting into bed with the betting sponsors while the money is still there, because in another couple of years, it's not going to be available. Am I right? Uh, yeah. And I can't, I get why the club's done it. I'm sort of uncomfortable with it again it's legal it's not a problem on that side of things but we've got tough on our books it's kind of (laughs) you took the words out of my mouth so there was a point bearing in mind that um so it's a separate but related part of the conversation Ivan Tony is obviously on this long-term ban and he's receiving treatment for gambling addiction and People have pointed out that Brentford have stayed with Hollywood Bet as their shirt sponsor at a time that their highest profile and most talismanic player is 
currently under suspension for gambling offences. We can't ignore the influence that gambling sponsorship has, surely. Um, I mean, but then again, I suppose we had Shipstons and Labatt's when football was rife for drinking cultures. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, the, the moral side of it, I don't know how. how you weren't going how, to get a year long more. ban for, for drinking too much, though, were you? No, but you could do for, I don't know, uh, drink driving or whatever, then you wouldn't I'll get okay. banned for football, but it would cost your club. But um, just on the other side of it, I'm kind of interested to know how much money it was because the things I'd read about Boxed when we went up was they were offering 10 million. Uh, I no, so um I'm just going to interject here. I believe that Boxed offered somewhere between two and five million for us to holding out for 10 million. <laughs> and then I've also heard, although this is entirely unconfirmed, and I'm wondering if anyone can shed any light on this, that Part of the benefit of the UNHCR deal wasn't just the good PR, but also Forrest could offset something by having mm. a charity sponsor against FFP, which means that I think that if you're going to have a front of shirt sponsor, it's going to have to, in the Premier League, it's going to have to be 10 million or more to make it worthwhile. That's the position as I understand it and from a couple of bits that I've read. So, yeah, uh, I, I think we can assume that Kyan Sports are paying a lot of money and I can. Knowing the Maranakis um, business model, I can also imagine that they've sought significant assurances that the money is there. <laughs> um, and it's also because they're because well, so again, even even their provenance is slightly murky, isn't it? I've read there they're from the Philippines, but they're actually a Chinese company. Um, the fact that they uh, saw somewhere that, like they don't have a website and um, you'd mentioned beforehand about the, this spokesperson. Burn Howard. Not, yeah, seemingly not existing. I'm not too bothered about that side of stuff, because if you're a Chinese company that's maybe run across multiple other companies, what you're going to do is put up fronts like that because you don't want to invest a whole if they're they're only really interested in bringing growing the market to China, why would they open a whole UK office just for this one deal? Um, ultimately, it's it's yeah, let's do do the bare minimum to get get over the line there, and then do that bit. It's just yeah, do they? I presume they do have the money. It's Mr. Maranakis would have made sure of that. Is it morally clean for us to have that money? Sort of ish. Um, would I rather we'd gone the whole season without a sponsor or with UNHCR? Definitely. Mm, mm. Uh, Stephen, yeah. I mean, the money has to be there because otherwise the club wouldn't have entered into the engagement. But um, are we worried about being catfished by the mysterious Burn Howard who has no internet presence? I would hope that the, the club's done its due diligence and, and ironed out any of these potential issues. Um, I look at it and I see that, yes, morally, there are some questions around dealing with betting companies and getting them in as your sponsor. But at the same time, clearly, they are the only companies that are prepared to pay £10 million to sponsor the club or however much the deal is worth. And while that money is around, I think clubs are going to take it. Forrest did their best last season to to get to a 10 million pound deal and it didn't happen. So I look at it and think, well, people complained last season when Forrest didn't have a sponsor because it made the club look amateurish. 
the UNHCR deal was great and it was it was a, a nice thing to see that we'd gone with a charity. Um but again, those same criticisms came back at the start of this season that a lack of sponsor made the club look amateurish. So they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. And I think while it's while it's still legal and while it's still something that other clubs are are doing as well, I don't have as much of a problem with it. In a perfect world, I'd rather not have a betting sponsor altogether, but this is the situation we're in and at the moment, I think the club would like to just get the money in and 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 while the opportunity is still there to do so. And Maradona, just to go full circle on this part of the discussion, um, just like, for example, tobacco sponsorship in Formula One, uh, alcohol sponsorship on football shirts in the 80s and 90s, can we assume that when betting sponsorship is outlawed, there's just going to be another nefarious industry that's going to come in and fill that gap, isn't there? Um, I guess so. I don't know. It might be crypto or something. I don't know. Um, or something that's not even been invented. Well, actually, on that topic, isn't there this? Was it six six eight six dot hk? There are they betting? Are they crypto? Who are they? And they're appearing on the, including at Forest press conferences, they're appearing on hoardings and everything all over the place in the Premier League. And again, once one of these companies, no one really knows anything about them. There's there's journalists who are really trying to get under the skin of that and. But it just goes to show that nature abhors a vacuum, doesn't it? So once the gambling sponsorship is taken away, something else will fill that void. Yeah, I, I guess so. And, and it's, the way the sort of corporate world's gone in the last few years, there's less and less money on sort of spent on marketing budgets and for, I don't know, boots. They boots won't have 10 million quid to sort of chuck at Forest, even though it's a, it's a local company. Um, they've got to answer to shareholders and what have you. Um, the, the, all the sponsorship you, should, sponsorship you see around football matches, it, it is either football gambling or FX, which is just as murky, really. It's just another form of gambling. There's just millions and millions of adverts for FX exchanges. Um, crypto is the next next big thing, isn't it? So to, to fill the void if they do end up banning it. I, I, is it? I, I don't know. Is it? Has it been decided that it definitely is being banned? I've, I've got yeah. To, yeah, so 2026, um, clubs won't be allowed to have gambling sponsors on front of shirt, although they'll still be allowed to sleeve sponsors and advertising hoardings. Yeah, so we're not, we're not going to escape it completely. And, and I guess they'll still be allowed to advertise on TV and um, and radio as well, because it's just mm. so much money that they put into the economy um, in terms of sort of the tax revenue. The government's not going to turn that away completely, I guess. So. Um, yeah, I'm afraid they're here to stay in some form or another, I guess. It sounds. Mm. And in that sense, I guess um, tobacco is an outlier because you can't really advertise tobacco anywhere anymore. Whereas, um, yeah, we still see adverts for for various types of booze and other things which are on telly and, and, and other places. Um, OK, thank you for your contributions, panel. And now it's time for this. 1865. Yes, that red. Quizmaster Baz is going to ask us five questions about a Forest player, past or present. And we have to shout out and see if we can guess who it is. So do feel free to play along at home. And the incentive for us in the panel is that whichever one of us wins this quiz, we get to choose the outro music for this month's show. So off you go, Quizmaster Baz. Okay. Um, right. So this player, I have. 
played in two spells at Forest. Uh, one, as you might imagine, very successful, and one maybe less so. Maradona. Mm-hmm. David Prutton. No. Oh, Rich. Go. Steve Hodge. No. Maradona. Go. Neil Webb. Nope. Moving on. Let's carry on. (laughs) (laughs) I have played football. Actually, I I just checked this out this morning. And um, as of Friday, this is now incorrect. But uh, I have played football in Belgium, England and France. Rich. Go. David Frio. No. I was going lateral there. (laughs) Anyone else? Nope. No. Yeah. Right. Uh, I have represented my country 58 times with two goals. Rich. Go for it. John Olafjelda. No. You want bloody shooting? Because that would have been meta because he was last month's quiz player. <laughs> <laughs> right, question four. I am one of the very few players in the world to have won goal of the season for two different clubs in the same season. This is tricky. <laughs> Rich. Real cool. Go. Pure guesswork, Gary Bertels. No. Right, I'm hoping you'll, this one will give it away then. Question five. Oh, Rich, Rich, Rich. Oh. John Robertson. No. Would he have won it? So question five. I was affectionately known as Pep by the Forest fans. Stephen. Go. Adlen Gredior. Exactly. He comes in at the deathbed <laughs> and steals that from under everyone's noses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Adlen Gredior. Yes. Uh, yes. Goal Rem- the remember for him? Wolves and then I think he only scored one goal for Wolves as well, but yeah. it was like a 35 yard job and then goal of the season for us as well. Well, there you go. Is he still playing? Apparently, he just signed for a club in Algeria on Friday, but I didn't want to say that because I would have given it away straight away. <laughs> there you go. So thank you very much, Quizmaster Baz. Congratulations to Stephen. Have you had a thought about what your outro music for this month is going to be? I have, and I'm going to take something from the Forest pre-match playlist, and I'm going to go for Faithless Insomnia. Superb. Superb. Absolute classic. <laughs> And all of that does is to leave us to say thank you very much to today's panel, to Maradon the Midlands, to Baz, to Stephen, also to Adam and to Amilka. Uh, Thank you also to Jeremy for the sketch. Uh, We'd also like to say big thanks to FanHub, to the Sports Social Podcast Network, who support this podcast. And thank you, listener, for joining us and for the comments on Twitter, Instagram, threads, YouTube, TikTok. So if you like what you hear, you know what to do. And you can find all of our links at 1865.football. We'll be back next week with a report after the Burnley match. Until then, from me, Rich Ferraro, thank you very much for listening.
Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.